Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast, where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. This time, we're talking about something quite topical, lockdown, and our expert guest is Mark Smith from the Psychological Society of Ireland. Uh, It is on lockdown. I'm in the studio. Mark is uh, at home on the Zoom. How are you, Mark? I'm okay. I'm not too bad. Firstly, uh, if we we can, I suppose, start off on on a personal level, how has the, the lockdown been for you? Uh, it's been weird, to be honest. It's It's been strange um, having to adapt in so many ways that I never would have predicted from my day job to, you know, seeing people over, over the video or talking to them on the phone um, to adapting to Zoom for private therapy stuff to becoming a, or trying to become a, a teacher and a parent. And, you know, I know that lots of people are talking about working from home and um, that might be one aspect in terms of your, your work, but there's a hell of a lot more to it when it comes to, you know, everything else that needs to be done at home. It's, it's certainly not easy. Um, and one thing I've been kind of conscious over the last little while, I've done lots of media interviews and I've given lots of advice about the importance of focusing on things like sleep and good food and exercise. And it is still good advice and it does work. But I think one of the things I've been really struck by is do I always follow my own advice? And mm-hmm. no, I, I don't. But um, I do try and, you know, I could be accused of being a little bit of a hypocrite, but I think what, what it does is it, it makes me recognize that I'm human, um, that I try to do better each day, but there's days where I really don't, don't reach that height. Um, and I think it's, it's been hard on, on all of us, to, you know, in terms of things that seem quite trivial, like, like going for a haircut. Now, that's not an issue for me anymore because there wasn't <laughs> much to start with. Um, or going for a pint or a meal out. Yeah. And, you know, these are important things. It's the small things that are important to people. And we all want to go back to our, what we believe were our old realities that kind of kept us grounded and you know, everything right now is the opposite of what we've always been used to. And it's going to be a while before we do get back to the way things were, if ever. I mean, psychologically, how are we as as a general public holding up? I suppose it's, it's hard to know. There's lots of research happening at the moment that's trying to evaluate how we're doing, but we may not know ultimately for a year, maybe two years when we look at the, the longer term impact of this. I think in any given situation, there's a principle that I, that I always kind of stick by that in any given moment, a person's doing the best that they can do in that moment. And it's equally true that they can do better. But I think for, for the vast majority of us, what it has forced us to do is to confront our vulnerability um, for something as simple as a cough or a droplet. And so we go for a walk and we see someone coming less than that two meters from us. We becoming you know instantly anxious. We're concerned. We're worried about our safety and others. And I think what's happened in the past is that we've always got anxious about lots of different things. And sometimes it's about perceived threats. Um, that's generally going to be unlikely. This isn't perceived or unlikely. This mm. is a, a threat that's ravaging its way across the globe, leaving psychological and physical trail of destruction. So it, it's tough to pretend that this isn't real and it's not helpful to do so um, because it is. And that is our current reality is that there is danger all around us, but we're still doing our best to protect and to keep ever, keep everyone safe. Some people are more anxious than others. I think I was a bit more anxious at the beginning, less so now, but still not complacent. And then there are other people who don't seem to be anxious at all. I mean, they'll they'll come right up on top of you in the supermarket. What's going through their minds? Uh, denial, perhaps. Mm. You know that you know we see that especially in in the states at the moment, in certain states yeah. where there's just it's denial that anything's wrong at all. My experience actually in, in working with people who've struggled with anxiety pre COVID nineteen is they're actually doing okay in, in the vast majority of cases from the people I'm talking to because they understand what it feels like to feel anxious every single day, to have the racing thoughts, to have the tenseness, the anxiety inside your body. 
So this is just a continuation of, of what they'd experienced. And it's interesting for me, for some of them, they seem almost better prepared for it because they have sometimes pulled back from the world. They've stayed in their rooms, not gone out outside as much. So this is not a unique situation, but it's for, for people, I think, that haven't had much of an appreciation of what it feels like to feel anxious about how exhausting it is, about how sometimes little control we have about the what if thoughts that invade our mind. So I think for everybody, suddenly we have um, a global leveling emotionally because we're all feeling anxious. We're all feeling a little bit frustrated, a little bit annoyed, tired, dealing with unpredictability. So we all know what it, what it feels like to be anxious right now. And, and my hope is that at the end of all of this, that there actually might be less stigma attached to, to anxiety and mm-hmm. that people who struggle with it might come forward and talk about it because they may have hopefully now uh, an understanding or, or a hope that people will know what it feels like. So it's it's a strange kind of situation where I think it might actually help with anxiety um, and, and people looking for support around it. So it's more of a trial really for people who <clears throat> weren't anxious in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that could be argued. Mm. Um, because again, it's it's not necessarily about the feeling of anxiety. It's about this sense of lack of control of everything that's going on around them. So we have kids who can't have birthday parties anymore. Um, my, my little lad had his, his birthday last Friday and all he wanted was that for his meal at home was that he would have chicken nuggets and chips and sausages because if he'd had a birthday in a play centre, that's what he would have had. Right. Now it seems like such a small thing, but we, we had it. We, we all had that meal. But we forget that those little things are the things that are important. It was supposed to be my daughter's communion tomorrow and obviously that's not happening. Yeah. We know that there are kids in sixth class who won't transition onto those things. So there are lots of small everyday things that people are missing out on that are quite hard and that they, you know, they've built up for a couple of months thinking about this is coming and now suddenly it's all gone. Um, and they don't really know how to feel about it because they never considered the fact that this would be taken away from them. It impacts differently on different people and different age groups. If we take a look through the age groups and start off with, say, kids, what's the impact on them? I think kids like us all, but I think particularly kids thrive on routine. So they thrive on the predictability of going to crash and preschool and school every day, seeing their friends, having a routine that just makes them feel like everything makes sense in the world. That's all gone now. Mm. So now they're, they're at home and, and the younger the kid, the harder it's going to be for them to comprehend. Why can't I come see my friends? Why can't I play with them? Why can't I give Nana a hug? You know, it, it's hard for them to take on board the, the global aspect of this. It's hard for us. Mm. So, so for them, they tend to, to think and to feel in, in the short term. So when you're trying to tell them that we don't know when this is going to end, that's a very difficult thing for, for kids to, to comprehend. As we kind of move on a little bit, um, there's lots of different age groups that we kind of maybe focus on particularly. So I think for me, that transition between sixth class and first year has always been a difficult transition. But in pre-COVID times, you might make a visit to the school, you might get kind of a tour around it, you, you understand a little bit of what, what's going to come. Right now, we, we don't know how kids are going to transition because we don't know when it's going to be. Um, we also have, I suppose, teenagers who, and we know there's a particular focus over the last couple of months on the state exam years. Mm. And that has been incredibly difficult for them because they've been trying to deal with the uncertainty of COVID-19. But, you know, for the leaving certs, will there be an exam that will get me to college or, or what's going to happen? Um, I think they were unenviable decisions that the government had to make. Um, I'm certainly glad that they made one finally so that at least they can have some certainty. But I think in general, 
teenagers in particular are very social creatures. They they like to go out to mix with their friends. That's where their primary attachments are. So I think this has been particularly hard. You know, I, they they they're relying on their technology to keep in touch with friends, and I suppose they they were well versed and well practiced in that pre-COVID. So maybe yeah. that's kind of getting them through this right now. We move on then to to another age group, young parents, for example. How is it affecting them? Yeah, I think for, for parents, this is, it's hard for everyone, but, mm. you know, they're, I think, having to, or maybe this is just me projecting, <laughs> but going through an, an identity crisis like their adolescence all over again, because, as I said, working from home is not a cushy number. So we've all seen on Twitter and different things, people talking about the pressure of Zoom meetings and, you know, you're trying to engage in your work and anxious that over your shoulder, suddenly a toddler is going to appear looking to do, go to the potty or someone needs help with their homework or whatever it might be. Um, and then you have you as a person and as a, as a parent, as a professional, what is my identity? How do I look? Am I supposed to dress up like I would in work? Am I allowed to be casual? Where's, where's the line there? Um, and you're, you're trying to be multiple roles. So you're trying to be your professional, you're trying to be your, your person, you're trying to be an educator. And, and maybe again, this is just my own experience and I'm projecting, but I think for a lot of parents, we end up being UN peacekeepers. Um, because, you know, we're all cramped, we're all cooped up together and we're going to get a little bit more irritable and, and kids will get irritable with each other. So you're trying to be all things to all people. But for most of us, it's about trying to be the best that we can. Um, and even when we have those doubts that it's good enough to remind ourselves that you know, we are doing our best. I think the people I feel most sympathy for are younger parents with, with, with younger kids because, I mean, my kids are grown up. I don't have to worry too much about them. You never stop worrying about them. But, you know, you have to mind the kids. You have to work. You have to homeschool the kids. What happens when you get anxious? Who do you turn to? You have to put on a brave face all the time. I think it does. I mean, even the fact that I'm, I'm up here in the attic right now recording this podcast is making me a little bit anxious of what are they up to? <laughs> are they wrecking the place? Yes. Um but also a little bit guilty of, you know, I'm at home, but I'm not at home. Mm. Um, and, and but in fairness, my, my kids have been fantastic. They really kind of respect this boundary of when daddy goes to the attic, daddy's doing his work and, and they're kind of they're letting me do this. But I think as well for parents, when you're trying to get kids to do schoolwork or to do even a little bit at all, for them, they kind of struggle to see the justification. Well, well why should I? You know, where's the purpose of doing this? Mm. Um and what I've experienced over the last couple of years is that it's really parents really struggle with self-doubt about being good enough. And I've spoken to a lot of parents who've been really worried that they can't motivate their kids to do a couple of hours work every day. And I've been certainly trying to reassure them that, look, you know what? Kids are resilient. Kids are malleable in terms of their education. They can catch up. Um, you know, don't sacrifice your relationship with your kid to have a big row about doing hours of homework. Maintain the relationship. That's the thing that's that's really important. Um in the same way about you know, what time do they get up at in the morning? So in the summer, traditionally, parents might relax the rules and sleep in a little bit. But right now, there's, for the kids' point of view, is what have I got to get up for? So, you know, and, and parents are like, well, they should be up. They should be doing something, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. maybe not learning Spanish like yourself, but <laughs> exercising and getting out and about and doing, ticking all the boxes. And for some of the kids, they're like, you know what, I'm just not into that right now. Let's move on to the, to the next couple of decades. And how are people in their 40s and 50s, you know, late 40s and 50s handling this? Um, from people I've talked to, I think in particular the, the group that um, are struggling and the most understandably so are those that have either lost their employment or are in kind of precarious employment, mm-hmm. maybe you know, business owners who don't know, will I get to reopen? Um, how am I going to pay the bills? Will I have enough more money for the mortgage, for the kids going back to school fees? Um, I think that's a particularly um cohort that that's under huge pressure you know they're talking about 25 percent unemployment rate 
Um, that's going to have a massive impact, not only on just the parents and those people in the 40s and 50s, but them in terms of how they manage their kids and support their kids. So it, it's going to impact on the entire family. Mm. Um, they, they, they're dealing with this uncertainty of how am I as a person and my health, but also how am I going to provide for my family and, and what's going to happen? And that's that's really, really, really difficult for them. Um, so, you know, I've, I've a lot of empathy and sympathy for that. And I think what it has done, I suppose, is emphasize for me the impact of environmental stressors on our mental health. That, you know, this is a unique situation where we're not wondering, is this about the chemicals in our brain or serotonin or, or these kind of things? It's what's happening all around us. It's the strain of relationships. It's the strain of wondering where am I going to get money coming in to pay the bills, as I said. It's, it's all of these things that are really, really impacting on people. And we've heard, as well, worrying reports of an increase in the amount of people that are drinking, that are gambling online, increases in the amount of calls for kind of support for domestic violence. So people are under pressure. And yet I do think that they are doing their best to survive. But sometimes some cope better than others. And then we move into the 60s and 70s. And I mean, particularly the 70-year-olds who who were cocooning for three weeks. And I know they accepted the fact they had to stay in, but it certainly mm-hmm. wasn't doing their mental health any good. No, I think it's it's been exceptionally hard because they are, the reality is they are one of our most vulnerable in our population right now because of, of COVID-19. Um, and while I think it is hard, I think for me, I've seen a huge emphasis in people understanding the importance of keeping connected mm. with the elderly in our community, um, about supporting and empowering them to learn how to use technology to be able to communicate with the grandkids, um, to the Gardaí providing such a fantastic service, delivering medicine, delivering food, or sometimes just coming out for a chat. I've seen them um, fix car wheels, mm. help make the tea. You know, So people are, are realizing that this is a very vulnerable group that we need to not only not forget, but go out of our way to engage with, to make them feel that they're they're remembered, that they're important and that we will be there. And I think hopefully that will continue in the end of COVID-19, that we won't just kind of relax and, and forget about the elderly again, that we will maintain that really important relationship, um, not just for, for us, but for connection with the grandkids so that it's intergenerational because it's important for us all to stay connected. Then you have, on the other hand, the conspiracy theorists who think it's all it's all a load of baloney and uh, this this has all been set up by the government for mind control or whatever. And there's more and more of them out there not believing what the experts are saying. Is there anything you can tell them? Uh, oof, God, I've really struggled with this because, you know, as a psychologist, my, my job and my ethos is about understanding and validating p- people's positions and not being judgmental. Um, but I think it's hard. I think it's hard when you're confronted by the realities of so many deaths to hear people deny the reality of this. So I don't really know. I think it, it could be, you know, a benign interpretation could be a projection of their own anxieties um, and they, they have to deny it to be able to cope with the reality of it. Um, other than that, I, I don't know. And I think, you know, when you see the commentary on Twitter and social media, it does delve into, um, as you say, quite colourful language. And I don't think that's particularly helpful either. Mm. Um, certainly my own approach has just been where I can to to ignore, to not get into it, because we have to be careful about what material we engage with. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we've talked a lot about anxiety and, and when we're engaging in, in these kind of conversations with, with people who believe in this or we're reading this information, it's really not helpful to us. And we just have to kind of remind ourselves, look, I have to limit my exposure to this material. And if I do need to know information, go to 
trusted sources. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we can do to keep our mental health at a reasonably good level? Yeah, I, I think there's lots of things we can do. And that, that's important to realise that there is things that we can focus on that, that will help. And back to, you know, what I was saying earlier on about the kind of the key things that I don't always get right, but we all should strive to do so. Um, and that is to to get enough sleep, mm. um, to, to get what exercise that we can, especially now with the, the restrictions being eased somewhat, to stay socially connected with others by whatever means possible that we can, and to have a you know relatively okay uh, appetite and food intake. And if we get those four basic things right, that gives us a relatively solid foundation to be able to survive. And I've talked about this before in other arenas that we need to be careful, I think, about the expectations that we set upon ourselves. So we don't want to set an expectation of that we're going to come out of this as a a vastly improved, self-actualized person who's incredibly fit and speaks four languages (laughs) and plays the piano. And there may be, you know, two or three people who have exceptional skills that that might be true for and fair play to them. Um, For the rest of us, and I include myself in that, I think getting out of this in one piece or relatively one piece, surviving it, is good enough and if we if we're realistic with that then then that would be okay um i think it's important to to talk to others um not necessarily about covid19 but how we're feeling what we're thinking mm. what our worries are because what's what's been fascinating to me and it shouldn't be but it has been is that people are starting to open up about what they're feeling and getting a huge sense of relief and validation that they're not the only ones that feel like that mm. Um, so that's that's really protective because it stops us from internalizing and from ruminating. And these things really can get in on top of us. They're like kind of those songs, those earworm songs that we all hate to hear. Mm. When, a, when a doubt gets in, it can burrow away and really have an impact on us. But when we, we know that others feel that too, just we feel less alone. And at an age of uh, isolation and lockdown, feeling less alone is really important. Um, I think my my ambitions are are not too high. If I get out alive and (laughs) and not too fat, I'll be happy enough. (laughs) Anxiousness about the future and and another spike when we lift the restrictions. Is there anything we can do about that? Yeah, um, I think it's it's kind of being mindful of of kind of taking one day at a time, focusing Mm. on on now. Um, When we get anxious, we do have a tendency to project into the future. You know, what's going to happen with college? What's going to happen with work? What's going to happen with conferences or events or weddings in six or nine months time, will we be able to have it? We don't know. Um, and I suppose when we can use something called radical acceptance, we can just accept that we don't know and we will have to figure it out as we get along. We'll generally manage the day-to-day that little bit better. Um, I suppose as psychologists, what we worry about is, well, lots of things. Um, for me, it's about a tendency sometimes to pathologize what is a, a typical or expected feeling um, for the situation they're in. So in the face of a global pandemic that's bringing untold death and misery, feeling anxious, uncertain, low, bored, irritated is normal. And, and that's okay. You're supposed to feel like that. It's not a, a clinical diagnosis. It's not pathological. Um, I think the other thing that, that has been hard, and I, I don't know yet what the long-term impact of it's going to be, is about people's ability to be able to grieve for those that they've lost. So in Ireland in particular, we're used to certain ways of grieving. Um, we've got a great sense of community here in Ireland that, you know, we see it through traditional wakes and ceremonies where we get together and we tell stories and we celebrate the life and we we laugh. We haven't been able to do that. Um, and people have, you know, they've been adapting, families have been adapting. Um, I don't know what will be like long term and, and I worry about that. I hope it'll be okay. And, and perhaps it might be kind of delayed 
opportunities to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, on a professional level, um, I do worry also. Um, I think it's important, again, that's what I was saying about validating that what you're going through is, an, is a typical experience. Because what we don't need and wouldn't be helpful is for everybody to believe that because they've been feeling anxious, they need professional psychological support. Um, the vast, vast majority are not going to. And I think that's a really important message. So for most people, going back to work, school, routine, to meet loved ones, spend time with family, will be enough to start to repair some of the you know, psychological impact that COVID has had. There will be others, as there has been before and will be in the future, that will need more support. Um, I am worried that we don't know yet what the government plan for this is. We're going to need more psychologists, OTs, social workers, SLTs. They've always been there, but the demand is likely to increase. And I don't know yet if they're going to be able to meet that demand. But what I do know is that they will do their best, as they've always done, to meet that demand. Just before we we wrap up, are there any upsides to this at all? Yeah, I, I think we've touched on one already around what I hope is kind of a, a reduced sense of of stigma mm-hmm. um, around talking about our emotions, about feeling anxious. Um, but I think the the increased sense of community, um, as we talked about the elderly, the, the importance of remembering them and connecting with them. I think changing the narrative about school as just being a place that kids go to learn where they do their maths and their English. I think we all realise right now it's so much more than that. It's about the relationships that they have with their peers, with their friends that sense of connectedness to their teachers. Um, but also we have seen that as, as we've always done, I think as a nation, we've been very good at adapting to adversity. Um, and Twitter can be a, a verifiable cesspool of, of, of unpleasantness, but it can also have really uplifting stories. So we've seen fantastic efforts by people to really go out of their way to, to give to others. So, even for me, me personally, I, I work in a GP's clinic and they were really stuck for PPE. And I reached out on Twitter to a great guy called Doug Ledden, who went out of his way straight away to make sure that the GPs, not only that I work with, but the GPs in our entire area got all the PPP that they needed. I've seen my, my local GP club and or GGA club, apologies, and GA clubs all around the country um, come together using technology to campaign and to raise funds for Do It For Dan. We've seen out out in the air bingo. We've seen GA training for kids on Zoom. So I think that's what gives us hope, is that even in the face of a global pandemic, people find ways to adapt, to connect, to find hope and joy in the little things every day that they can. And you could argue that what COVID has done is pulled us together more than ever and, and emphasize the importance of that connection that we have. And you know, I think what we all hope is that that won't end when we flatten the curve, that that sense of connection will continue in the weeks, months to come. OK, and on that note, Mark Smith from the Psychological Society of Ireland uh, will let you get back to the kids. Thank you very much for your time. I think we've learned an awful lot that was very informative. That was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. We'll see you next time.